Hey guys, welcome to the Jesus Name News Podcast. I'm Larry and I got Derek here with me. And this week we have a very interesting topic. Um, In light with our theme over the last month or so, we are going to talk about hell. Yeah, so I know this is probably everyone's favorite topic. I mean, we certainly love referencing it and saying it and scaring people with it. Um, or telling people to go there. Our, my favorite is telling people to go there, I guess. <laughs> I mean, people do it. I, yeah. I guess maybe we'll, we'll hope Christian people don't do it, but it is a quite a common thing. Yeah. And honestly, like, here's the thing with hell. I know that we discussed like Halloween and all that stuff a couple weeks ago, but continuing that discussion, I feel like we feel like is very vital. Uh, because we don't want to just leave loose hens hanging. Uh, but at the same time, when we talk about hell in this episode, like we really want to be up front. Like, we are not trying to challenge the status quo. We are just trying to inform and like give everyone an idea of the background, like where the basis of what we know as hell now came from. Uh, and to really get there, guess where you got to start? You got to start with Judaism, obviously. I mean, if you're going to discuss any spiritual topic, you got to start with Judaism first. I mean, we claim to be an Abrahamic religion, right? So start with Judaic roots, right? So early Judaism, honestly, there is no concept of hell. I mean, seriously, look back through... Genesis and parts of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, there's really no concept of hell. Well, yeah, and, I was going to say, I mean, as much as we don't really talk about the, this fact often, there is no hell in Moses' writings. There is the vast majority of references we have to hell or to any concept of hell at all is in the New Testament. Yeah. So, and, I mean, as much as this is, it, I, I mean, even though I I've, I know this, right? It it's still shocking to me every time I hear it said. Yeah, I mean, and it feels weird even saying it. I'm gonna be honest with you because it, hell is so ingrained in our theology, so it feels weird just saying that. But it's a fact. There was no real concept of what hell was when that's fi- when that concept was finally introduced. It was during the Hellenistic period. So think about like Alexander the Great, which was around like 323 BC and go all the way to about the real rise of the Roman Empire, which was about 31 BC. So during that time, that's kind of when you get the concept of hell being formulated uh, or, you know, being codified, I guess, really. So Judaism does not have a specific doctrine even about the afterlife in general, even today. You know, most of Judaism honestly believes that it's more be good to each other and love God and do what you're supposed to do, follow the law. That's what most of Judaism believes. However, it does have a mystical orthodox tradition That is describing a word that is actually used in the New Testament by Jesus uh, called Gehenna, 
Gehenna is not hell, but it's originally a grave. And in later times, sort of like a purgatory, like we talked about, you know, last week, where one is judged based on one's life deeds and, or rather, you know, where one becomes fully aware of their shortcomings and what they did in their life and how bad they were. Uh, the Kabbalah actually explains this at a, as a uh, waiting room. Yeah, so sort of still that same concept of purgatory. Uh, and it's commonly translated as like an entryway. So for all souls, not just the wicked, the overwhelming majority of rabbis actually maintain that this state uh, in Gehenna is not forever. The longest you can actually stay there is about a year, 12 months. However, there is the occasional noted exception, namely with like Cain and, you know, some of the Judean Sumerian kings uh, that defied and, you know, tore apart the temple and defiled the temple, things like that. Um, okay. I, I have, I have a question, but I also want to jump in and just make a note. So Kabbalah, for those who don't know, um, I know you're probably thinking what is actually like a religion nowadays. I want to say, I remember back in the day, I think Madonna followed it. Some other people follow it. Um, it is a religion now that religion didn't really get it codified until like the 12th or 13th century or so. However, Kabbalah itself is a form of Jew- Jewish mysticism that definitely is dated to before the time of Christ. So um, that is kind of more what we're talking about. We're not really talking about like modern Kabbalah, although they're very, very intertwined and they reference each other quite. I mean, obviously modern Kabbalah is based on this mysticism, but when we refer to it, we're talking about the mysticism that exists in Judaism. Um, Question though, you mentioned Cain <laughs> is, is, is what those pe- people who are saying this saying is that Cain when marked was in hell. Well, no, what they're saying is when he died, like he had no hope of getting out. That's the idea. But I, like, think of it that way. Like uh, Absalom, yeah. Absalom is another one that they consider, you know, it kind of, if you want me to be honest, I think it's more like the sons of perdition. You know, they're eternally separated from God. Yeah. But- oh, I feel like I feel like they're kind of just going into like a mystical form of we're judging people kind of thing. Well, yeah. And I mean, but think about it. If you think of the New Testament, Judas is also called a son of perdition. And it just means destruction. You know, they're eternally, which I'll get into that. Yeah. But it's separation basically Wait, so yeah just just clarifying so yeah but in kabbalah you know that weird i wouldn't even say weird i mean let's be honest it has really strong roots <laughs> so uh kabbalah there are at least seven divisions of hell so you're asking yourself why are we talking about seven divisions of hell when that's not really orthodox well that's because some of our ideas of hell come from the seven divisions of hell that Kabbalah has. So you got to first start out with Sheol, which is the grave. You know, it's mentioned in Psalms 6 and 16 and 10. So the King James Version actually says, 
for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. So obviously this is used in uh, Acts chapter two, verse 27 by Peter when he's describing the resurrection of Jesus. And then you have it again as the English standard version. Uh, and the reason I'm using those two different versions, because I want to show you that Sheol was transliterated. Uh, hell was not necessarily a good word. So for you, so the ESV uses, for you will not abandon my soul in Sheol or let your holy one see corruption. It means the same exact thing. And honestly, in this case, when the ESV, in my opinion, gets it right, because if Peter used it to back up his claim that Jesus had resurrected, Sheol means grave, right? That it makes more yeah. sense. Am I wrong? No. And and the thing is, is that again, there really isn't an evidence of David having an idea of what we call hell. No, there so I mean, it it kind of goes back to that old argument that about the the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. Does does the king say it looked like the son of God or the son of a God? And because yeah. both terms technically fit the translation because Sheol can be translated to hell. It just doesn't make sense to do so in that context because the person writing it and saying it couldn't have possibly meant that. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's, it's kind of like a, is it called, is it a, an acronym? It's doesn't fit the time period. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, in my opinion, Sheol, meaning grave, fits more accurately. Um, I don't see why that has to be a point of contention with anyone, but I'm sure someone out there will make a point of contention with it. So the next level is one that, because it's mentioned in Revelations, one that is very hotly debated. Uh, and like I said, this term, when I say it, you're going to probably recognize it. Abaddon or Abaddon. It really depends on how you say it, but it essentially just means perdition. So the term Abaddon appears at least six times in the Old Testament. And again, it just means perdition, destruction, a place of destruction, or the realm of the dead. And usually it's accompanied by Sheol. So let's look at Job 26 and 6, the grave. The, so beginning, the grave, Sheol, is the proper word there, is naked before him in destruction. And the term, the Hebrew there is Abaddon, has no covering. Again, Job 28 and 22, destruction. Again, the Hebrew term is Abaddon and death say. So Abaddon is constantly being re referenced by Job as destruction. It happens again in Job 31 and 12. And then you get down to Psalm 88 and 11, it says, Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave, which again is Sheol, or thy faithfulness in destruction, which again is Abaddon. And then in Proverbs 15 and 11, it's the same thing. Sheol, Abaddon. Proverbs 27 and 20, Sheol, Abaddon. And usually in the Old Testament, Sheol and Abaddon accompany each other. They're side by you know, side. You know what's interesting about that? So I, I, 
this might step on some toes. All right. So if we look at these books, okay, Job is, well, Job. I mean, I've never heard anyone that really thinks Job is not very much different than every other book in the Bible. Okay. Like it doesn't fit in any time period. It, it, you can't place it anywhere. So it's hard to say it's historical in any way. Right. And, and it talks about things that aren't talked about anywhere else. Right. Except for places that seem to be referencing the book of Job. Okay. But then you have Psalms and Proverbs, Psalms, Psalm, they're just songs, right? They're not, I I mean, we use all kinds of poetic imagery and songs that aren't meant to be taken literally. I mean, you know, you're a musician too. It it drives me crazy when people attack songs on the basis of theology because they decided to make a specific statement using poetic terms. And that term isn't 100% theologically accurate in every single imaginal instance and way because that would be a very boring song I mean, well, yeah because it would be... theology doesn't matter i mean no, but context context colors theology so yeah. like if you take a if you take a line of a song out of context yes that that line might have horrible theology but in the context of the song it might be fine Um, And then Proverbs, Proverbs is also its own thing. Like Proverbs is never declared to be like absolute statements. In fact, a whole bunch of Proverbs are just wise things to do there. These are better ways to act mostly. Yeah. And so it's like this word and these ideas, again, they're coming from a place that it's like, it's different. And then the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is apocalyptic. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's, it's not literal. <laughs> and I don't mean that to say it's not true. I don't mean that to say that it doesn't have prophecies that are literal, but it's, it's poetic. So it's from a book of poetry, a book that best we can tell is some sort of allegory. Which, a, by the way, book. by the way, I mean, fits the way Jesus would have presented this. Well, yeah, and then it's a book of wise sayings with honestly no actual connection to anything else in its own book, by and large, and an apoc- and a- apocalyptic literature that is meant to be grandiose and allegorical and symbolic and poetic. Yeah, I mean that that that's the main goal. I mean, but. You know, your reference to Revelation, I mean, Abaddon is even mentioned there. Yeah. And it, it's coincidentally 9-11. They have as king over them, the <laughs> angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, it is called Apollyon. So Abaddon shows up as kind of like this angel of the bottomless pit. But I can also see like where you're getting like, at least two levels of hell. You know, you got like in Proverbs 27 and 20, it says hell, which is the term Sheol and destruction, which is the term Abaddon are never full. So the as a man are never satisfied. I can see that. But we still have like another five levels of hell to go through. So buckle up. (laughs) But either way, like 
the idea of Abaddon just very much intrigues me because of the revelation reference. Um, again, I, I don't know that it is completely literal as much as it is allegorical and meant to, you know, meant to conjure up ideas, meanings and reference a future or whatever. But again, I think that, uh, Abaddon is, it's one of those really hard ones because when I think back to Judas, Judas is mentioned as a son of perdition, a son of destruction, basically. And then uh, Kabbalah has in this group Cain, uh, in some cases, Amnon and Absalom and uh, some of the kings that defiled the temple and forsake god's covenant with israel so honestly like is it a division i don't know but we we find somehow in our broad sense we use abaddon maybe unintentionally to mean hell and really it's referencing destruction and the third level I got to talk about is called Bayer Shakat, which I could not find any reference to, no matter how hard I looked. It just simply means pit of corruption. And then the tit, and then the fourth level, tit ha yavin, which is clinging mud. Again, couldn't really find a reference. And then verse uh, the fifth level, Shayar Mavit, which is gates of hell or gates of death. And then this is probably the one that I spent the most time on because once I got into it, I could not stop. Okay, real quick, before we get to this one, because I know this one we have a ton of stuff on, I just have a real quick kind of question slash thought. So, all right. So, so there's all these different things, but like the gates of hell are a thing referenced. Okay, well, gates of death, yes. Gates of death, gates of hell, right? So, this is my thing, okay? We use, and I know, I'm, I'm sure I'm stepping on you somewhere here, but we, we use hell multiple times to reference different things that aren't necessarily the same. Yes. <laughs> Are, is, it, is part of this issue just that English became the dominant language and English is awful? Honestly, yes, because I'll, I'll and I'll get to it a little bit later because English just sucks. Yeah, I started saying my question and I was like, you know what? I'm pretty sure that that we're going to get to this later. <laughs> English honestly just sucks. Like, we, awful, have a bunch yeah. of, we have a bunch of umbrella terms, whereas Greek and Hebrew have a lot of detailed words. And not only that, but we we have umbrella terms that describe the same thing as 78 other umbrella terms and none of them are specific. Yes. And again, we, we just suck. Like English <laughs> is a bad language. It's a hodgepodge of languages, mostly Germanic, but we still and borrow everywhere. So going on to that sixth level, which I'm going to attempt to say this, T uh, Zamavet, which is shadow of death. And immediately your mind probably goes to Psalms 23, right? I mean, my, my mind goes to Coolio. <laughs> but I'm probably a sinner. 
Yes, you're a sinner. Uh, luckily, saved by grace. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it goes to Psalms 23 too. But I mean, I, I can't lie; it goes to both. Right. Oh, I, and I get it. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> but but basically, what shadow of death is? It's like an underworld where the dead live in shadow. Uh, which is common to beliefs in the ancient Near East, so basically the Middle East. In biblical Hebrew, uh, it really means death shadow or shadow of death, uh, which is an alternate term for Sheol. Uh, However, uh, there's this reference to the Witch of Endor that we've kind of talked about, you know, a few episodes ago with Wicked Obsessions. Uh, the Witch of Endor in the first book of Samuel notably conjures up this ghost of Samuel. So Shadow of Death can also kind of reference ghosts. Yay. So, so when it says live in shadow, does it mean like shadows like our shadow shadows or in darkness shadow? I think it just means like darkness. Well, I, and I'm going to get to it. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But like I said, Obviously, your mind goes to Psalms 23, unless you're Larry and you're a sinner. So, believe it or not, this is also mentioned in the Gospels, and most notably by Zechariah, you know, the man that is father to John the Baptist. He says this in a song after he's filled with the Holy Ghost, and he's kind of prophesying slash referencing Isaiah because, you know, he was a teacher. So... Luke 1 and 76 through 79 and the ESV says, and you child, and he's talking about his son, John, and you child, you will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the son shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And Personally, those four verses, they're like, give me chills. Like, I mean, they are, first of all, beautiful. Second of all, I mean, wow, like revelatory and, you know, makes me recognize how blessed we are to, you know, live in an era where Jesus has already come. So, I mean, it is referenced there. And then you go to Matthew chapter four and verse 16. Uh, I'm actually going to read verses Matthew chapter four, verses 12 through 17, I believe. So let me start with verse 12. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, again, talking about Jesus hearing that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulon in the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So this is referencing both a physical place and a spiritual place of sorts. So uh, honestly, both times, however, reference Isaiah 9 verses one through two. And I, I find it really ironic that, and I guess it's not ironic. I guess it's more amazing and just shows how good God is and how accurate his word is. Isaiah nine is in the same passages as 
you know, and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father, the Prince of peace. Right. Yeah. Like I, that is amazing to me. And you have Zechariah quoting this in Luke. And then you've got Matthew recording and referencing the prophet Isaiah uh, and using this same chapter and verse. And I feel like that is just so amazing. Uh, but the Greek refers to the shadow of death. If you look at the Greek words and break this down uh, verse by verse and you know word by word, the Greek to this shadow of death ref- is as such. So death of the body, which could be referenced as Sheol, implied future misery in hell, the misery of the soul arising from sin, which begins on earth, but lasts and increases after the death of the body in hell. And in the widest sense, just death comprising all the miseries arising from sin, as well as physical death as the loss of a life consecrated to God and blessed in him on earth to be followed by wretchedness and hell. So, I just find this interesting that this valley of the shadow of death was actually mentioned at all in later New Testament theology and was used in New Testament theology to confirm what the prophets had said about Jesus. I mean, it's phenomenal, honestly, when you really get down to it. Yeah, I mean, looking at it, it's not even just in the same section as the unto us a son, a child is born, a son is given. It's literally the opening of the prophecy. Exactly. Like the whole, you know, those have a great light. Those who dwell the land of the deep darkness on them has a light shown directly leads into all of that, into the, the, the things that we quote at Christmas time. Like it's, it's literally directly there, yeah. you know, and, 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 you know, as we're going through this, it's kind of interesting to me too, is that, I mean, I don't know what those other three levels are, right. But at least the first couple and this one, it's almost, well, it, you have kind of a chicken and egg situation just because we don't know where Kabbalah really started. Yeah. Like we don't know where the mysticism really started. We, we know that if we use Kabbalah as an umbrella term for Jewish mysticism, that it probably predated when Moses started writing stuff. Correct. Just because mysticism has always existed. And, and so on that sense, it predates some of the writings, but at the same time, you know, what is coloring? What is the question? And I mean, all of them have biblical basis. And the question is, is what are these things? How are they different and how are they connected? Which I think is the big question everybody has because we end in all these things. And I I think that's why I asked about, you know, using different words because, you know, the pit of corruption or the gates of death. I mean, I'm sure one of these is referencing like the domain of the enemy. Correct. Right. Like not, not even like, like in the popular, in the pop culture hell that we have, you know, like if you watch Bill and Ted and they go to hell and they look around and there's all the devil demons torturing people or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, in that version of hell, Satan rules over it. 
But we know in the Bible, when we talk about the lake of fire and we talk about the torment place, right? That was created for Satan's torment. Right. And so we're, we are in our pop culture smashing together all these different ideas. And it's interesting to me to look at these and kind of go, okay, so we have this, like we have death, right? We just have death. And that's definitely a part of this. We have waiting for judgment. Okay. That's definitely a part of even modern Christian theology. Like our theology still has waiting for judgment. Right. Right. We have, there's some domain home base quote unquote of Satan and his minions. Yeah. I don't know where it is. I don't know what it is. I don't know how defined it is, but what a, what I found interesting about the shadow of death shadows are everywhere. Right. Yeah. Like that's, that's kind of like, yes, the domain of the enemy certainly conjures up ideas, but when you talk about shadow of death, shadows are everywhere. Yeah. And when you're looking at Isaiah nine verses one through two, the ESV didn't translate it. And I don't think the KJV does either as shadow of death. It translated as deep darkness. Yeah. Which, well, that's the other thing. Shadows only actually exist where light shines. Exactly. And that and that's why like so if it is deep darkness, that means that there is no hope of repentance and forgiveness. And I believe what Luke and Isaiah and Matthew are trying to reference and what Zechariah was trying to say was that finally salvation has come to a people that did not at one time have a chance of true forgiveness and true uh, life yeah. until Jesus. Well, That's yeah, how I, mean, I feel could, about it. Could you imagine like, I mean, how lucky we are. Cause the reality is, is that, well, God definitely could have reached anyone anywhere in any time period. And I'm sure he had some method for reaching out. Oh, to and everybody. we're getting, we're getting to that one too, by the way. And we're getting to that. I'm sure. But like, if you didn't live in Israel before, like, you know, Jesus, and even then, if you only lived in a few, like 50 year periods, your likelihood of actually doing what God has asked to be done is almost zero. Yeah. Like in terms of all of history, your ability to have ever even heard the things that God asks us to do is almost none. Yep. Like in the modern world, sure, okay, the majority of people have at least heard of Jesus on some level, but at the same time, there's a whole bunch of people that haven't heard about him enough to risk their lives to follow him. Right. You know, and so like even then, I, I mean, referring to that as a deep darkness that has no hope of light in it and that Jesus was coming to shine that light and expand that light scope. It, it makes sense. And it's such a perfect description of what Jesus did. Well, if you look at what John says, and this is scripture interpreting scripture here, and I know that this probably has very little to do with what hell actually is, but I feel like it's a place where we need to sit for a second and really think about what shadow of death is. Think about it this way. John, when he's opening up his gospel says, you know, the light 
you know, the, the light came and the darkness comprehended it not. And what the actual verbiage of that is should be apprehended. It. Meaning that darkness could not consume the light. So yeah, I, I almost feel like the better translation is the shadow is death. Yeah. I mean, because probably death isn't light that death has no shadow. Well, even Ecclesiastes says, you know, the dead know nothing. They have nothing. They do nothing. Yeah. So, I mean, death is final, right? But the shadow of death, meaning that, like, in my opinion, and this is coming from Derek, ver, you know, chapter two, verse seven, my opinion is this shadow of death is referencing probably a spiritual death. But also, when you think about shadow of death, think about that near death point, like eternal separation from God, that humanity was on that brink of eternal separation from God. And Jesus came and got us basically away from that edge. And that's why I think John so clearly said, you know, the, the light came and the darkness could not comprehend or apprehend it, couldn't overtake it. Because the darkness that we once had on us, once Jesus came, it brought to light all that, all that was going on, all that sin, all that death, all that separation. And the darkness could not, can, could not take it out. Right. I mean, the darkness, like, there are instances where, Dark, darkness is so dark that it is felt. I mean, that, that's in the Bible. There, there's a, it's actually referencing uh, the 10 plagues in Egypt. The darkness in Egypt was so dark that it was a darkness that you could feel. So that's kind of how I really think about this. That shadow of death is Jesus literally coming, shining a light on that shadow and saying, look, this this isn't how it's got to be. I'm going to give you a, a path of repentance and escape and reconciliation. That's how I really feel about the shadow of death. I don't, I guess I'm picking apart Kabbalism at the same time, but still like our, our ideas of hell come from this shadow of death, come from this destruction, come from this shield yeah. idea. And when you're using scripture to interpret scripture, man, it is so clear that Jesus, when he came, ransomed us from hell. Yeah. Because that was our destination. That's what I feel like it was referencing. So moving on to that seventh level, right? And I think I, I mentioned this earlier, Gehenna. Well, man, there are a few things that Gehenna means, right? And that's where, again, buckle up, sit back, grab a drink. I don't care if you're driving down the road. Hopefully it's a long drive because I might be here for a little bit. So the <laughs> Gehenna just simply means Valley of Hinnom or Tartarus or Purgatory. So, so Tartarus, uh, Greek fiery abyss of torment, right? 
yeah in, infernus basically inferno i just um, recognize it yeah uh but jewish thought and teaching maintains that hell is not really a physical place and i'm gonna come back to gehenna in a second but i gotta lay this groundwork they maintain that hell is not a really physical place it's more of a feeling so again, that darkness that you can feel is associated again with Gehenna. The term then usually refers to the present moment rather than a point in the future because the gates of Teshuvah, which we talked about Teshuvah a few weeks ago, which is return, the gates of return to God are always open as long as you're alive. And so Gehenna comes from the Aramaic name of the Valley of Hinnom or Gehenna. Uh, it is also a geographical term that uh, was a transliteration of the Hebrew Bible, which obviously has a lot of theological ideas surrounding it. So in the KJV, the term appears about 13 times and in 11 different verses, it's referenced as the Valley of Hinnom or the Valley of the Son of Hinnom or the Valley of the Children of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom is also the modern name for the valley that surrounds Jerusalem's old city, including what we would know as Mount Zion uh, from the west and south. So it's on it's in that southwestern corridor. Uh, it meets and merges with the Kidron Valley, the other valley uh, that surrounds the old city, but near the southeastern corner of the city. So and I know, look, just go look at a map. I'm not even going to try to explain what I'm trying to tell you because you got to have a map to understand that. So my main point is Gehenna. Gehenna was initially where some of the kings of Judah sacrificed their sons and their children in general by fire. Ahaz did this as it was recorded in 2 Kings 23 and 10. Uh, Thereafter, this place is cursed. Uh, which is referenced in Jeremiah 7 and 31, and then again in Jeremiah 19, verses 2 through 6. Okay, wait. So the Temple Mount comes out of what is referred to repeatedly as hell? Uh, well, here, here's, the, here's the thing. The old It's talking about the old city, obviously, but... This, honestly, some people believe that these kings, not only did they set up places on mountains to do, to perform this child sacrifice, yeah, but they went into the temple and did it. Oh, I'm sure they did. I mean, like that, or at least I, they would have tried to. And really, like, the, if it's on a mountain, I believe it's actually called a, a, to, a, top, a tofeth. I believe it was what it was called. Uh, but either way... It was a place where there was human sacrifice and Jeremiah did command it to be destroyed, destroyed. And so Josiah destroys the shrines that we would, we would, we would know this as Molech, the, the cult of Molech, you know, child sacrifice later in the Valley. Uh, so same Valley, guess what it becomes? It's a cursed place. So it becomes a dumping ground for sewage and other stuff. Uh, it was a place where there was worms and maggots. So then it was a place of, you know, defiling, you know, 
Josiah stopped this child sacrifice. So fires also burn continually to destroy the garbage and impurities. So let's, let's take a step back. So it's a place of crawling worms and maggots and a place where fires burn continually. Hence the name Gehenna became used as a symbol of punishment. So does that conjure up any ideas of what hell looks like and where we start seeing this formation? I mean, it literally sounds like the modern depiction of what the like the secular idea of hell is. Like it's it's literally the idea of what we say hell is. Yeah, I mean, the book of Isaiah actually uses the this imagery, right? Yeah. Uh, Isaiah 66 and 24 says, and they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the ones who have transgressed against me for their worms. For their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Uh, and here's the other thing. So most people, when they get an idea of hell, it smells like basically burning, rotting flesh. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? From this valley, because it's a dumping ground for a lot, you know, garbage and sewage, it smells terrible. And the smoke that comes from it smelled awful. Okay. So you might not know the answer to this. I know rich Jews at this time buried their dead in tombs and stuff. Yeah. What did poor people do? And what did people who were considered evil do? Because I'm sure they want to put like a truly evil person in a fancy tomb. Uh, I mean, that's a good question. Did I don't burn the corpses. Uh, really? I don't know. I don't think so, because that wasn't really introduced until like, the Greeks and Romans. Um, obviously you had some idea of it with, you know, uh, with the, uh, earlier European tribes, like the Norse and things like that. Um, so cremation wasn't really a thing in the ancient Near East, unless it was trying to kill your child for a God. Uh, however, I mean, I say it wasn't, but it was also at the same time. There were some tribes that practiced it, but at the same time, it. I don't really. I know that like the there was a place to put people who had died. You know, there were there was like public tombs in a in a sense, if that makes sense. You know, almost like a catacomb, if you want to think of it yeah. that way. Um. It's kind of that idea, more or less. Uh, And, you know, referencing Jesus, it says, you know, he made his grave with the wicked. He he, he made his, in his death, he was with the wicked and he made his grave with the rich. You know, the rich people could afford to go out and buy this great tomb. But at the same time, the poor people also had to be buried. And usually they were buried in, you know, kind of public tombs. Not, Not necessarily that was bad or anything, but just like they didn't have the money to go buy their own to- family tomb, basically. Um, so, I mean, that that's the historical... I, I did a quick Google search. Jews are opposed to cremation. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really introduced to, to the region until very early on. And I mean, yeah, when you think about it... Jews would have opposed it because the, the pagans around them probably did it on some level. I mean... I guess yeah. if you're burning living people, you're probably burning dead people too. 
Yeah, and well, Isaiah 30 and 33, I believe, uh, kind of references that. So the Topheth, which is just a term for the Valley of Hinnom. Uh, so the Topheth has long been pre- prepared. It has been made ready for the king. Its fire pit has been made deep and wide with an abundance of fire and wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of burning sulfur, sets it ablaze. Basically punishing the wicked kings. That's what mm-hmm. the idea is. So in uh, sulfur, we all know how sulfur smells. It smells terrible. Uh, so yeah, that's the idea behind all this. Like it, it, It's a place of burning, essentially. Gehenna. So in rabbinic literature, Gehenna is also the destination of the wicked. Um, and it's more of like a neutral, you know, it's, it's different from Sheol and Hades, you know, which is the abode of the dead, like the grave. It's different from that neutral idea and more geared toward the wicked. Um, so the picture of Gehenna as the place of punishment or destruction of the wicked occurs very frequently in the rabbinic sources. Uh, and it's considered a purgatory like place where the wicked go to suffer until they are, have atoned for their sins. I know we talked about purgatory last week and I really considered con- including this in the purgatory episode, but then I was like, wait, this is where we really form a foundation for hell. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Jesus Name News podcast this week. This is one of those episodes that just had a ton of content in it. So for the next couple weeks and actually the next couple episodes, we are going to be splitting them and posting part two on Mondays. Thanks for listening, guys.